This is the Point of Drew Podcast. What up, Point of Drew listeners? We are back. It's Z here with Young Gopher. (laughs) Harden in the building. Uh, We got a fun episode for you guys today. We uh, unfortunately got to talk about the Super Bowl a little bit. I'll I'll let uh, Barton take it away and, uh, you know, share some of his feelings there. Uh, But then uh, a full college hoops pod. I'm excited to uh, talk a little college basketball. We haven't touched on it much this year. Yeah, man. Uh, great episode ahead. Uh, Z, glad to be here. I'm, uh, I am dreading uh, talking about our, our Chiefs and, and the Super Bowl recap, but we'll spend a couple minutes on that and then finally get into some college hoops. We uh, haven't really had the chance to do that, so I'm really excited to, to get into uh, a lot of that and just kind of dissect what's been going on this year. But um, before that, as always, Jersey Corner number 20. Let's get right into it. Zon, any honorable mentions to shout? Definitely. I'm glad we're in the 20s now. Um, 20, great number. We, we went through a stretch of some pretty rough ones. Uh, 19 may have been the worst jersey corner, but now we're on 20. And 20 is one of the best we've had so far. Uh, had quite a few honorable mentions, but narrowed that list down to four. So four guys I did want to give some shout outs to as honorable mentions for the award. First, Ray Allen, the man with the most three-pointers in the history of the NBA. Uh, Ray Allen definitely deserves a shout for repping number 20. Uh, Another shout-out goes to Ed Reed, one of the best uh, safeties I've ever been able to watch in my lifetime, for sure. He was always fun on those Baltimore teams. Uh, Another football player, Barry Sanders, the great Barry Sanders. Definitely one of the best running backs of all time, easily in the conversation of, uh, you know, top five-ish running backs in the history of football. And then uh, lastly, Gary Payton, the single greatest shit talker in the history (laughs) of shit talking. Uh, What he did on the court spoke for itself, but uh, what he was even better at was the sport within the sport. That man could talk some trash, and that alone gets him a spot on the uh, Mount Rushmore of best athletes to wear number 20. So those are uh, those are my honorable mentions there. Let's hear yours. All good stuff, man. I, uh, I also had Ed Reed um, as one of mine. Uh, you can't really ignore it. Watched him growing up so much, nine-time Pro Bowler five-time All-Pro, and then got that Super Bowl championship right at the end of his career. Um, so shout out Ed Reed at, at number 20. He was a, an absolute beast at, at the safety position. Um, I got to shout him out too, Gary Payton, man. Nicknamed the Glove. Uh, he's a, a trash-talking, defensive-minded point guard. That really resonates with me. That was kind of my game uh, back when I hooped. But um, where it really diverges, I would say, is uh, he also – was the leader for both Oregon State, where he went to college, and and the Seattle Supersonics, and uh, the career leader for both of those uh, basketball teams in, in points, assists, and steals. So much more well-rounded game than I ever had. Um, but Gary Payton, a, an absolute beast on, on the defensive side of the floor. And like you said, it uh, love to get in guys' grill and, and really uh, uh, talk that shit. So you, you got to respect him. And then my uh, my final, final honorable mention is uh, – 
Manu, Manu Ginobili, uh, the best South American-born NBA star ever. Um, he's also w- one of two players, actually, one of two players ever to win an NBA title, win a EuroLeague title, and an Olympic gold medal. Um, so that's a, a pretty insane accomplishment. And he's one of two players, like I mentioned. Can you name the other guy who's, who's had accomplished all of those three things? Uh, one of the Gasols. No, nah, man, it's tough. It's I don't even know who this was. Bill Bradley did it. Um, I guess he played in the NBA and then went to, to Europe after his career in the NBA and won a EuroLeague title. And then while he was kind of peaking in the NBA, he uh, he won a gold medal as well. So a little bit different than, than the way Manu did it when he was uh, he was in the EuroLeague first and then went to the NBA. But, um, but they both had accomplished all three of those things, the, the two players to ever win an NBA title, a EuroLeague title and an Olympic gold medal. You know, uh, uh, Bill Bradley, uh, actually, after his playing career, he went on to become a, a U.S. senator. So uh, that... Uh, no way. Yeah. Fun facts all around, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so crazy for him. But uh, definitely some good shout-outs there. I like that. Uh, but I, I'll move into my winner now, man. And uh, it's someone you already mentioned. You uh, You just hit on a few of his accomplishments. The greatest South American board basketball player in the history of the sport, Manu Ginobili. He's my winner, the four-time champ, the lifelong spur. Uh, in my opinion, the best sixth man of all time. Uh, John Havlicek is probably the greatest when it comes to six-man accomplishments. He was coming yep. off the bench for his, um, you know, most of his career. But I think Manu was the best six man in the history of hoops the way he would come in off the bench for some of those Spurs title teams uh the spark he would bring right away on on both ends of the court uh the the creation he had in his game the creativity he had he was just so fun to watch uh and you know the Spurs kind of had the rep of being the just that system team the team who just went out there and nailed the fundamental side of the game but Manu was the one sparked the flash in some of those teams that really just like brought it all together, made it fun. Um, so I've got Manu as the best number 20 wearer of all time. Hang that jersey in the rafters, man. It's the best. Yeah, man, I love it. I uh, I really like the logic you use there. He's the probably the greatest six man to ever do it. Um, like you said, so creative. I hated – I was never a Spurs fan. and kind of always rooted against them for whatever reason. Can't really tell you why, but I was always worried about Manu because he could he could do it all. And so that's a, that's a great shout for uh, the best to ever do it at 20. Uh, I'm going to take in a little bit of a different direction. <clears throat> you mentioned him earlier. This one's actually a tie for me, though. Uh, just let me explain here. Uh, my best to ever do it at number 20 is the Detroit Lions great Barry Sanders. Uh, he's actually a Kansas boy, born in Wichita, um, won the Heisman Trophy at uh, Oklahoma State. During his time there, he actually set 34 Division I records, um, and six of those still stand. So uh, it, was, it was quite an accomplished young man coming out of school and then went on to play 10 seasons in the NFL where he was in the Pro Bowl every single year uh, he was in the NFL. So 10 for 10 there, was a six-time All-Pro, and then had actually had one MVP as well. So too many accolades to count for this guy, arguably one of the greatest running backs ever. Um, So Barry Sanders is a tie with another running back 
who could have been the best to ever do it if it weren't for injury, Brian Smash Williams, the superstar <laughs> running back of, yes, the Dillon Panthers. We already shouted out his buddy Jason Street at number seven. <clears throat> and I got to shout out Smash at number 20. He's tied with Barry Sanders for me. He had the talent to be the GOAT, man. Coach Taylor knew it. Tammy Taylor. Oh, God, she knew it. And uh, and even Julie Taylor knew it, man. Uh, but unfortunately, his career was cut short. Uh, got a little bit too far into the PEDs. We don't need to really get get too deep into that. But uh, Smash Williams really, I think, could have been the greatest to ever do it at 20 if uh, his, his uh, career wasn't cut short. So I have a tie between Barry Sanders and Brian Smash Williams. Both of them are the best to ever do it at 20 for me. That's a great answer there. And man, it just leaves me thinking about how many what ifs we had coming out of uh, that Dylan High, uh, you know, and Jason Street, the what ifs are always there. Smash, man. You never know what he could have become. Uh, might might have really, ended up being the greatest of all time. <laughs> they really both had the talent to do it, but uh, they weren't the most talented to come out of uh, out of Dylan, the Dylan Panthers in, in that show, Friday Night Lights. We know that crown goes the one, the one, the only Tammy Taylor. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one there. Love the Friday Night shout out as always. But while we're on the fo- topic of football. I do need to change gears here and, and probably change the tone a little bit. Oh. Yeah, we saw our Kansas City Chiefs get cooked on Sunday night in the Super Bowl. Final score of 31 to 9 <clears throat> against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Tom Brady taking home his seventh ring, uh, another finals MVP for him. The Bucks defense just went to town on the, the beat down Chiefs O line. Rough one, but Barton, I just want to hear your thoughts. I'm just going to let you go. Just talk about the game, get out the fields, get out whatever you need that you've been holding in from the game because uh, I know it was rough for you. It was rough for me, and we we got to talk about it. We can't move on without it. at least, you know, acknowledging what happened. Go for it. Let's hear what you had to say. Yeah, man, I, I think this is definitely a healthy exercise for me uh, just to get some closure, to let it all out, let it go. Um, but, yeah, let's start at the beginning, man. I thought I thought it was a great start. We, we got the Bucks off the field right away, three and out to, to open the game. Actually, we, I thought I was feeling good when we won the toss and deferred. Um, and then we, we get them three and out, get our offense on the field. Um, and, unfortunately, weren't able to do much, but, uh, we were able to get on the board first by a field goal, but I knew things were kind of not looking great when Tyreek Hill dropped that first touchdown pass. You just can't give up points like that. Um, and we had to settle for a field goal. And then uh, then Brady and that offense really got going and it, it got a little, uh, it got definitely got concerning. But, um, you know, I guess where I'd start is is the obvious one. The O-line just got cooked. Yeah, I thought, I said it in the in the preview pod too. I thought, you know, our coaching um, and our uh, just preparation would prepare this kind of ragtag makeshift um, offensive line to at least hold up and, and give Pat enough time to make plays against this special, special front seven that the Buccaneers had. But, um, you know, really when it came down to it, that just wasn't the case. It was it was not a preparation problem. It was not a scheme problem. It was a personnel problem. They had I mean, when you look at it, they got look at their front seven. They got Vita Vea 
They got Dominican Sue on the inside, both of those guys. And you got Shaq Barrett and JPP on the outside. And you have Devin White and Levante David also covering, you know, slot receivers and tight ends and, and stuff. And they just had too much talent on that defensive line. Uh, even if the Chiefs starters were in, I think we would have had a lot of trouble. Um, I did not realize what a formidable front that was. And, man, they didn't blitz at all either. You know, uh, Todd Bowles is known for blitzing. They did not send uh, many blitzes at all during the game. Uh, it was just that front four getting home, um, you know, early and often throughout the game. And we all saw the stat about Pat running 500 yards. He was running for his life that whole game. And you hate to – I know you were bummed seeing that. You hate to put Pat in that position just trying to make plays. But, you know, he his greatness is, is still um, unquestioned, I think. Although all the plays he almost made, you know, this one's not on Pat. And, you know, we've heard it said many times, but I just want to reiterate the guy played his ass off, even though, you know, the, the stat line and, and the box score doesn't show it. He was a little off in, in the first half, but he just didn't have any help. They were out of sync with drop passes. He didn't have time um, and just never really gave him a chance. I, I was a holding out hope in that second half that we, we Pat would make some magic happen. We'd come back, but um, it was just too much. Their, their front seven was too talented. We didn't have the time. And, uh, and our defense just wasn't equipped to, to deal with kind of the physicality and talent they had as well on the offensive side of the ball. Brady, you know, good for him. He gets his seventh. He, uh, he wins MVP. It really should have been Devin White, I think, in the way he played. Um, shout out LSU there. But uh, it, it, it was a tough game, man. It's going to be a tough one to stomach. It, it felt lopsided. Felt like the most lopsided Chiefs game I'd watch. And, you know, that, that was uh, that was definitely the truth because Pat uh, Mahomes as a starter had never gotten beat by double digits. He hadn't gotten beat by double digits since 2016 when his Texas Tech Red Raiders lost to Iowa State. Um, so this guy is not used to losing this way. This Chiefs fan base, this Chiefs team is not used to losing in that fashion. And so it was definitely hard to stomach in, in the biggest game of all games. Um, I do want to address the – the penalties in the first half, I'm not going to harbor on it too much here, but, uh, you know, I do think there were some, some blown calls there. Uh, you know, they, they didn't call it consistently through the first and the second half. Carl Cheffers, uh, the, the head official, really boned us. Um, I, I, I really can't stand when uh, officials call the game that tight, right? Just let them play. In the Green Bay-Tampa Bay game the week before, they just let them play. We remember that. There was plenty of jersey – pulling and, and pushing between the, uh, the wide receivers and the defensive backs and they let them play. And that was refreshing to watch um, in that NFC championship game. But this game was not at all the same. Uh, it felt kind of targeted against the Chiefs, too, because, you know, I mean, I think it'd be hard to imagine that Cheffers and that uh, official crew didn't know that the Chiefs defensive backs like to play a little handsy, a little bit aggressive. Um, and they just didn't let them have anything you obviously uh, there are a couple uncatchables there that seemed like bad calls I thought the on the Tyron Matthew pick the that was the most nitpicky call of the, of the game in my opinion you have Traverius Ward on the other side of the field not even involved remotely in the play Brady's not even looking over there he pulls the guy a little bit he's got his hands on him they throw the flag there after the interception it's a late flag that one felt like almost like it was like cheap you know like that it, it just didn't make any sense obviously the the Tyran stuff was tough to watch in the end of the half. I don't know what was exchanged between him and Brady, but of course Brady gets the, uh, the good guy of the year award. He, he texts him after the game and stuff. It's, I can't stand it, but you know, I don't, I don't want to put too much on it, but really three things to you know, my, my final three things that to talk on this were, you know, that 
Andy Reid didn't make a lot of adjustments. I don't think he really could have, but offensively, receivers did not come to play. Uh, the line was just complete, <laughs> complete mismatch. We never had a really a chance from the beginning, and and the defense that we just never really had a chance. We like to play aggressive. We like to get up in people's faces. We pull jerseys. We touch. You know, we 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 get a little handsy there. Um, that's just in the Chiefs DNA. That's the way Spags coaches them. Um, and, and it's, we've gotten away with it all year, but of course, in the, on the biggest stage in the biggest game, it was not allowed, which definitely seems a little bit unfair, but you can't harbor on it, man. You got to let it go. We got a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, good years and, and good games ahead of us with, with Pat and Andy, uh, and the rest of this team. So definitely a bummer. Um, but congrats to Tom Brady can congrats to the bucks. It was well-deserved. They, they kicked our ass. And so, um, that's all I really got to say on it. Yeah, man, that's, uh, you know, a lot of good things in there. And I'd say some of the stuff I agree with most was it, you know, the Chiefs did not adjust their game plan whatsoever once things started going south. It seemed like they just stuck to what they came out thinking they were going to do. There was no adjustment. And some of that does obviously fall on the coaching staff. You would hope that at some point you see that that pass rush is – you know, just going to work on the O-line and, and you know, throw in some more running plays, get the running backs involved, try some different stuff there. Um, so I agree with you there. And then even just looking back at, at some of the keys to victory when we did it in our Super Bowl preview pod, we were talking about how the Chiefs need to stop the Tampa Bay pass rush. That was my biggest key to victory. Another one that we, we had mentioned was having the defensive backs make big plays. That was going to be huge for the Chiefs if they wanted to – uh, you know, get in Brady's head or get, a, you know, some pass rush on Brady. Just nothing broke Kansas City's way. And it wasn't that necessarily that it just didn't break Kansas City's way. It's that the Bucks went out and made sure that it didn't go Kansas City's way. The Bucks took control of the game early. They kept their foot on the gas. They never let up. They never let the Chiefs climb back in after the the first, you know, score of the game once the Bucks took the lead. So, um, you know, a lot of credit to to the Bucs. I thought they probably played their best game of the season, um, and it came in the Super Bowl, which is rare for a team to do. We knew the Bucs had this in them all year. Uh, we just didn't expect it to to have expect them to have their best game of the season. Um, so credit to them, credit to their coaching staff. Um, you know, left which is especially Todd Bowles was incredible. Um, and then Arians, you know man in the whole ship there uh just a lot of credit to the bucks i think the bucks deserved this more than kansas city lost it but it doesn't make me any less excited about the future in kansas city this future is still bright mahomes is still the best quarterback in the league moving forward the chiefs are going to have plenty of other chances to get back to that spot they're going to have a chance probably every year for the next nine years or as long as, you know, Mahomes' contract is still yeah. uh, is still there. We're, we're going to have a shot to get back there and do it again. So, uh, you know, still bright future in Kansas City. It doesn't make it any less bright, uh, but definitely just brings to light some of the uh, issues that need to be fixed for the Chiefs moving forward in the future. Um, so hopefully those they can get those done and, you know, stay on track, stay in this, uh, you know, championship or bust mentality every single year, because uh, that's what we want to see out of a team with as much talent as the Chiefs have. But end of the day, man, credit to Brady, credit to the Bucks. They deserved this one and they went out there and, and 
straight up took it from the Chiefs. So uh, that's all yeah. I have to add. I, impressive, man. Impressive from the Bucs. I really, I really like what you said there, that the Bucs probably played their best game of the season because it really felt like they did. And also felt like the Chiefs probably played the worst game I've seen them play in a long time, particularly in that first half with the drops the penalties, the punt, the miscues on the with the punt team, the special teams, it just everything was going wrong and on the biggest stage too. Um, and just to think, we're so naive as Chiefs fans because we're so spoiled with Pat that you know this team does have flaws, and to just to think that Pat can overcome all of them all the time, um, you know, it was a great wake up call to see, hey, you know, we can get we're gonna get our ass beat unless we fix some of these things and, and make yeah. adjustments because. Because Pat just can't can't carry, put the team on his back every single week. He is truly great, but um, you know we saw this is a team game, and you gotta have you gotta have the other guys you know make plays as well. And so uh, we saw it on display uh, in the Super Bowl, and unfortunately it came out with an L. Uh, but hey, well, I think there's no doubt we'll be back in our lifetime, and so I can't wait to uh, to be back and, and do another point of Drew Super Bowl preview, and, and hopefully another another post game with a, just a different result. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we can we can wrap up on the uh, the Super Bowl talk there, uh, but did want to ask your opinion of the weekend halftime performance. What do you think? <laughs> I knew this one was coming. Uh, man, I was so stressed and, and so bummed out and just trying to <laughs> blow off some steam. I, I did not really see much of that halftime show. Uh, I saw some clips, though. Looked like he did a good job. I really liked I thought it was really cool um that he didn't take payment for it it's just kind of like a they're trying to blow themselves up I think Shakira I saw Shakira and J-Lo did the same thing where you know it's just more of a brand recognition thing where the there's so many viewers watching the Super Bowl that um you know they can really just blow themselves up gain followers you know gain listeners whatever it may be um so I thought that was a a, a really cool piece of it but no I didn't I didn't watch much of the show live unfortunately what about you <laughs> I loved it, man. I'm a, I'm a weekend fan and I thought it was awesome. And uh, you mentioned it. He uh, actually, I, I heard spent 7 million of his own money on the, the show itself, um, which it, I just had never heard much about performers actually like paying money out of pocket, like you mentioned to do the show. So that was interesting, but uh, you know, I, I understood why some people were hating on it, but it was pretty good at the end of the day. It wasn't the best I've ever seen, but I, I enjoyed it. So I hope the uh, I hope the NFL starts leaning towards more uh, Super Bowl halftime acts like that than uh, some of the performers we've seen in the past. So it would hopefully, be- hopefully we get to a place where we can pay seven mil to uh, to throw a little point of Drew halftime show at some point. Yeah, it'll come soon. I'm thinking like maybe 2023 Super Bowl. Give us like all two- right. Two, three years. I think that I think that one might be in Las Vegas. So that we got to circle that one. <laughs> yeah, we'll start budgeting for that one. But uh, you know, the money will be coming in at that point. So we should be good. <laughs> uh, but the reason that the money will be coming in is because of the sponsors of the show. And now it's time for for a quick uh quick ad from our friends over at Shug's Bagels. Okay, Druthers. We have big news. The Shug's Bagels website is officially live. Not only can you visit the new site and view their loaded menu of delicious bagels, rolls, and wraps, but now you can also place an order for pickup or delivery. Yes, Druthers, you heard me correctly. 
You can now place an order for pickup between Monday and Friday and skip that classic Shug's line. Or if you prefer to kick back and stay home, you can place an order for delivery and our friends over at Favor will get you what you need. Go place an order today at ShugsBagels.com and use discount code DREW for 5% off. Shug's Bagels, the official bagel of the Point of Drew podcast. All right, Barton. Well, we are over halfway through the college basketball season, just under a month away from Selection Sunday. That's going to be happening on March 14th. So it's time. We've not mentioned it much, have not dug deep into this college basketball season. So it's time to do a little recap of what's been going on this year so far. Uh, Definitely wanted to hit on some of the top storylines and really just wanted to hear from you on some of these uh, early season awards predictions. Um, You know, you're our college basketball guy here. I can honestly say I have not watched much uh, men's college basketball at all this year. Uh, I've really just stuck to what I know with the NBA. So I'm going to be asking the questions. You're going to be the one providing the insight on this because I know you've been watching, you've been betting, you've been following along, and and you know what's going on. So with that said, like I mentioned, want to start with some of the biggest storylines this year. Tell me about college basketball, what's been going on, and and what I'm sure has been a weird season. Tell me about the year so far. What are the big storylines? Yeah, man, and uh, and before before I hop into the storylines, uh, we here at Point of Drew, we're a well-rounded podcast, and so you know, college basketball and the NBA season they overlap quite a bit, and so we got to stay well-rounded. We got to cover all our bases, and so I know you're grinding over there on the NBA, watching it, watching league pass every night, maybe even taking notes. I know you're placing some bets, and so uh, I gotta I gotta hold my own and, and do my thing for college hoops. I'm a I'm a big college hoops fan, and so. Yes, I have been watching all year. It's been it's been a very exciting year, much much better year than last year. Um, you know, some some of the storylines I want to get into. Uh, first off, you've been hearing about it a little bit maybe, but the traditional blue chips. So your Duke, your Kentuckys, your North Carolinas, and your Kansases, they're struggling, man. Um, they're all currently as it of as of today, February tenth. All four teams are unranked. This is happening for the first time since 1961, um, which is just a testament to how dominant all of these programs have been over our lifetime and, and really our parents' lifetime. Even 1961 was was not very uh, very recently, and so um, you got Duke sitting at seven and eight. They don't have a lot of talent. Usually, they've got two or three guys even that could be uh, draft picks. It's, it's looking pretty light. They may have one guy. Uh, Kentucky as well. They're five and thirteen. We know the drill at Kentucky. Coach Cal, uh, you know, gets gets one and dones every year. And so they're they are young. They lost uh, uh, that impressive backcourt last year with Tyreek Maxey um, and and the rest of those guys. And so they're they're not quite as uh, as formidable as they were last year. But five and thirteen with the talent they do have on that roster, it's pretty unexcusable. Um, so neither Duke or Kentucky is is looking like they'll they'll uh, really even make the tournament at this point. They, and the other two teams I want to mention are, are UNC, a little bit better record at twelve and six. Uh, but man, they uh they've been struggling as well. They just came off a win against Duke, but um, you know have lost a lot of games. Currently unranked. Uh, and then Kansas, of course, you know our Kansas Jayhawks, thirteen and seven. 
they're usually in the top five. They start they started the season top five uh, and preseason wise, and um, they're unranked as well. So all these teams are unranked. The classic blue chips are struggling. Um, so it's been a little bit of a weird year um, for that because those teams pretty consistently across the board, you know, top 25, at least usually even top 10 um, and all of them unranked at this point, well into the season. So been a little bit of a weird year on that front. Yeah. That's crazy to hear. I did not realize that all four of those teams were unranked. Definitely something we are not used to in college basketball is uh, does KU still have their uh, big 12 championship years in a row record. Is that still active? No, so that was broken last year. Okay. Uh, that was broken last year. Texas Tech took that away from them. Mm. Um, and so they, they, they do not have that the regular season streak anymore, so not a lot uh, you know, on the line at, at this point. Got it. I thought that still might be in place. But, man, yeah, crazy, crazy there. So, um, you know, when it, when it comes to those four teams, you mentioned some of them might be kind of on the bubble. Do you think any of those teams will make the tourney or, or – could even, you know, if they do sneak in, have a shot at making a run? Because those are the teams we're used to seeing and uh, making deep runs in the uh, in the tournament. Some of those teams are always in the final four. Uh, do you think any of them have a shot at making a run? So not, not really. Um, I don't think Duke and Kentucky, as it stands today, I don't think they're going to make the tournament. They've got a lot of work left to do. Kentucky's 5-13, and 13, so uh, yeah. I don't really think they have much of a chance. Duke's 7-8, and eight, like you said unlikely that they'll they'll be able to turn it around at this point i think unc's got a chance uh you know they're currently projected as, as a 10 seed and so you know they they, they could make it in they're, they're projected to make it in as of now but um you know, that acc schedule there's a lot of good teams and so uh it, it, it could easily go sideways on them they could hit a little uh, a little losing streak here and that that could be in jeopardy but i do think unc will squeeze their way in um, Kansas is currently projected at a six seed. So I definitely think they'll be back in the tournament, but we're used to seeing Kansas either, you know, as a, as a one seed or a number one overall seed with how dominant they've been over the last, uh, you know, decade plus. And so, um, it's a little bit weird to see them projected currently as a six seed, but, uh, you know, I, I do think KU has a chance to, uh, to definitely make the tournament, but as far as it, as far as a run, a deep run at that goes, I don't think any of these teams, man, I've, I haven't watched a ton of UNC, but I know just based on looking at the record, looking at their schedule, who they've lost to, um, you know, they don't really have the team. I've watched plenty of Kansas uh, and man, they are, they are not great that this year, this isn't your traditional Kansas team with usually they've got a, a lead guard, like a Devonte Graham or Frank Mason, uh, Sharon Collins type that um, really carries the weight. And they don't really have anyone that Marcus Garrett, he's a terrific defender, um, but hasn't really been able to do the same produce, produce at the same level on the uh, offensive end. And uh, you know, they just don't have a lot of guys I'm that confident in that can, can really propel this team and uh, to make a run in the tournament. And so um, to answer your question, Duke, Kentucky, UNC and Kansas, I don't see any of them making a deep run in this tournament. Then who is the uh, favorite? What teams uh, should we be looking at this year that that are going to be making deep runs in the tournament, that are going to be making runs in the Final Four, and and maybe the favorites to make it to the championship game? Who who is that this year? Yeah, so that's that's another storyline I, I wanted to get into. So that segues nicely. There's really two two clear favorites at this point that have separated themselves from the pack. Uh, number one is Gonzaga. Uh, this could finally be this team's year. 
uh, out in Spokane. Mark Few's been grinding and grinding. Uh, the past five seasons, actually, Gonzaga has two Sweet 16s, two Elite Eights, and then that one national championship appearance when they lost to UNC in that crazy game when Joel Berry hit that late three. Um, so this team's been there, man. They've been, they've had tournament success. They've, they've been the one seed, I think most of those years. And so, um, you know, they, they finally have the team. They're looking so dominant that I, I really do think it could be their year. Uh, they've been beating the shit out of teams. They're second in point differential at, at 22 points. And so um, they've been dominant from start to finish. They have good wins on the resume, uh, despite playing for a non-Power 5 conference. And so uh, Gonzaga, you know, they, they've been a program that's uh, had tournament success, but hasn't been able to to really get over the hump and, and win the big game. And so I really do think this year could be their year. Um, but there is another team. I said two teams have separated themselves from the pack. There's another team that could be standing in their, in their way. It's it's the Baylor Bears. Um, you know, this, this is definitely Scott Drew's best team ever, the longtime Baylor head coach. Uh, they're running away with the Big 12 right now. That's a, it's a pretty deep conference. They've, they've been dominating teams. I said Gonzaga was second in point differential this year. Baylor's first. They're first in point differential. They're averaging – they're beating teams on average by, on average uh, uh, 24 points. And so really, really just taking it – taking teams to the shed left and right. Uh, they've, they're super talented. I love their backcourt. I think it's the deepest backcourt in the country. Uh, you know, they got lead guards and Davian Mitchell and, and Jared Butler, who I think will both be um, – both are projected currently as first-round picks in this next NBA draft. They got Adam Flagler, who's a transfer. They've got Macy Oteague. And they've got maybe my favorite player in all of college basketball this year, Mark Vital. Mark Vital is listed as a guard. He's 6'5 uh, and an absolute unit. Uh, I would – most I would probably consider him a mix of like Draymond Green and the style that he plays. He's a little bit undersized, but actually will play the five for this Baylor team. Meet Zion in terms of the way his his body's built. Like he is uh, a thick dude, a thick motherfucker that can go, get out on the perimeter and actually eviscerate guards, not let them get around him. And then he can pack a punch in the paint. Uh, great rebounder, great defender, can actually protect the rim for his size at 6'5". And so a little bit of a Draymond Green meets Zion there for Mark Vital. And, uh, you know, he's really the linchpin in this in this talented Baylor Bears team. That So, man, I really think, you know, Baylor, Gonzaga, those two have really separated themselves from the rest of the pack and uh, are looking pretty dominant at this point in the year. Man, I love hearing that about Mark Vital. Um, <laughs> Draymond Green meets Zion Williamson sounds like a, a pretty fun player to watch. Uh, I love that style too, kind of a, a small ball guy who's just in there banging around, fighting, scrapping, can also get out on the perimeter and defend. I love that. Um so, yeah, that's good to hear. So Gonzaga and Baylor is your two clear favorites. You think those teams uh, are probably heading towards a uh, matchup in the uh, championship if they meet there. But, um, you know, outside of some of the big-name schools, who are some of the best non-Power 5 teams in the country right now? Yeah, great question. Um, and and so I think there's a few, few to name. First being uh, the Houston Cougars. Uh, they're the best team in the uh, American athletic conference. It's a, it's the Americans a little bit down this year. My SMU, my SMU Mustangs aren't as good as, as usual. 
Um, unfortunately, UCF's not quite as good as usual. Um, so they're a little bit down, but Houston uh, has really been booing that conference. They're ranked eighth in the country. Uh, they're off to a 16-2 and two start. And a lot of it's, you know, I think really behind their coach, Kelvin Sampson. You know, he's been terrific since he got there about three years ago. Um, and this team's his best team yet. They're playing really well. Uh, they're currently projected as a two seed in the tournament. And, and the, the best thing about this Houston team, uh, which is very different than some of the past years where Houston's been uh, an offensive juggernaut, this year they're an absolute unit defensively. Um, they're second in the NCAA in opponents' points per game. So uh, really just grind on defense. They're second in rebounding. So uh, they're cleaning up the boards well. Um, and no one wants to play this team come, come March, trust me. Uh, Houston is a tough matchup for anyone. They grind defensively. They they get all over the boards. And so not not a fun matchup. Um, and some other teams that I'd want to get into, both of these squads are actually in the Missouri Valley. Uh, so shout out Mo Valley, the first being Loyola, Chicago. Uh, they started they've gotten out to a 17 and three record, uh, which has afforded them the 22nd ranking in the country. Um, so great start for for Loyola, Chicago. Sister Jean, man, she's uh, she's at it again. Um, she, I, if you can remember her, she was back in uh, that final four run in 2018 when when our guy Clayton Custer uh, led the uh, Loyola, Chicago um, to that final four. Uh, so shout out OP, shout out that YMCA flag football league. You actually, uh, for the, this one's for the listeners, a fun fact, but Clayton Custer, uh, the point guard for Chicago in 2018, when he led them to the final four, our guy Z over there actually broke his arm in a flag football game, got him out for the year. And then our team ended up winning the title. So they have a little bit of a history. Uh, I just wanted to, to, to make sure the listeners knew that, um, you know, you weren't fucking around when it came to flag football. Definitely not. I was going to Adam. I, you know, I didn't even go for the flag, just went for the tackle. I knew I uh, had to do what I had to do in order to do, uh, you know, get their best player out of the game so we could come back and win and it happened according to plan. So not yeah, much sure. else to say there. You got to do what you got to do on the flag football field. That's for sure. Can't <laughs> argue with that strategy. Uh, but the other Mo Valley squad I wanted to get to, uh, is is Drake? Uh, they're eighteen and one. They're actually undefeated until last week. Um, they they haven't been getting a lot of respect, but they're a talented group. They're a team that I definitely think will make the tournament um, and could definitely upset a team or two, uh, sneak their way into the Sweet Sixteen. So keep an eye on Drake. Uh, that's our buddy Zeller's team. Uh, shout out Paul. Shout out Griffin. Uh, Drake. Hey, they they might be headed to the Sweet Sixteen this year, which would be a lot of fun. Definitely. So, do you think any of those, uh, you know, non-power five teams can make a, a legit Final Four run? Have any shot at, uh, you know, some major upsets and actually getting a shot at winning it all? Is there, you know, legit run to be made by any of those teams? Yeah. Well, it, it, it's tough to write off Loyola, Chicago, or, or Drake, given recent history. Um, but I'm I'm not going to say those squads have much of a chance. I do think Houston, though. Um, with the way they can defend, the way they can crash the boards. Uh, you know, they're not bad offensively either. It's a talented team all around, and they've got the coach and, and Kelvin Sampson, who I think is uh, could be the guy to replace Coach K at Duke when, it's all, when, it, when it comes down to it. He's, he's that special of a coach. Um, and so I do think Houston has real chances of making a, a legit Final Four run this year. 
Awesome. I love to hear that. I, I like seeing some of those non-Power 5 teams make a run. Houston and, and Kelvin Sampson, that'd be fun to, to see them get deep into the tournament and make some noise there. But wanted to segue a little now and get your take on some of the, the awards in college basketball. Segue a little bit away from the, the teams that are hot right now and looking good and, and kind of move into the players themselves who um, you know, are really standing out in what you mentioned was a weird year in college basketball. Um, so we're going to start with some of these awards. They're all named after players. And I just want you to tell me who you think should win each award. We're going to start with the Bob Cousy award. And yes, I have mentioned it on this podcast that I think I'm a better basketball player than Bob Cousy ever was. <laughs> That's beside the point. I want to know who is uh, the leader for the Bob Cousy award, the best point guard in the country. Yeah, there's no doubt you're better than you're better Hooper than Bob Cousy, but you're definitely not a better Hooper than this guy, Jared Butler of the Baylor Bears. Um, he shares the lead guard duties with with Davion Mitchell, who I who I mentioned earlier. Both of them kind of play a they can play on ball and off ball, but both have been absolutely sensational. And like I mentioned earlier, our projected first rounders, Jared Butler's been the, the better guy at scoring the rock. He's averaging um, 17 points per game and, and about five assists per game. Both are get him third in, in the big 12. And so has been extremely productive at that lead guard position for Baylor um, has probably been their best player offensively uh, knocked down three point shooter um, distributes the ball. Well, they got a lot of great guards, like we mentioned, and they got Mike Vit or Mark Vitale in the paint. And so uh, he's really been the guy that drives that offense for the Baylor bears this year and uh, has been really special. So I got Jared Butler winning the Bob Cousy award so far. Awesome. And then uh, moving on to the Jerry West award, the best shooting guard in the country. Who's that? Yeah. And so this one, his name's a little hard to pronounce, but Ayo Dosunmi uh, for Illinois. He's their shooting guard. He's got the crazy hair. Um, he's a junior and he's been special this year. He's averaging 21 points per game, which is second in the big 10 and, and five assists per game, which is third in the big 10. So uh, he's been great for an Illini team. That's super talented. Him and uh, Kofi Cockburn, their center have been kind of a, one of the best kind of dynamic duos in the country. Uh, this Illinois team, they're, they're maybe not on the level of, uh, of Iowa or even Ohio state at this point uh, in the big 10, but they're trailing right behind. And they've, I think they have a real chance to make a run uh, behind AO. So AO Dusunmi, uh, I got him winning our Jerry West award for the best shooting guard in the country. Nice. Uh, yeah. I know at the beginning of the season, Illinois was really highly ranked and had some hype around them. So it's uh it's cool to see they've got some, some, players that are looking really good this year uh but then let's move on the dr j the julius irving award the best small forward in college basketball who's it been this year yeah this one was an easy one for me he's been sensational uh it's Corey kispert uh looks a lot like kyle corver uh but he's plays for gonzaga he's kind of their swing man the uh the six seven wing um plays small forward he's his game's going to translate great to the the NBA really should be, I don't know if we'll go in the first round, but he should definitely be a first round pick. Um, he's an absolute sharp shooter. He's a senior. He's one of the best players in the country, averaging 20 points per game for this Gonzaga squad, shooting 56% from the field and 48% from three uh, for a six, seven wing. And so he's been incredibly impressive 
uh, definitely, I would say an all American, um, Corey Kispert is my Julius Irving award winner for the best small four in the country. Nice. And then, uh, moving on to best power forward, it is, uh, named after he who should not be named in, uh, in NBA circles, but the Carl Malone award, the best power forward in college basketball, who you got? Yeah, this one was tough because Evan Mobley, the freshman out, out at USC, has been playing really well. Um, but I'm going to take it a little bit of a different direction. I got Justin Champagny, uh, the pit power forward. Uh, he's a little undersized, about 6'6", but that has not made a difference. He's averaging 12 rebounds per game, which leads the ACC, gets him third best in the country in terms of rebounds, uh, and 19 points per game as well. So an incredible, an incredibly productive uh, guy at the forward spot for the Pittsburgh Panthers. Um, and hey, he could be one of those the few players in, in college hoops history to, to average a double double over a full season. And so he's been sensational for for the Pitt Panthers. And uh, a fun fact about Justin is that he's got a twin brother, uh, Julian, who plays for St. John's and is actually leading the Big East in points per game with twenty. Uh, so a, a great brother duo. I, w- I, I kind of wish they were playing together on the same squad. That would be, it'd be like a little Caleb Cody Martin duo back in uh, last year with Nevada, but uh, that's a, that's a fun, uh, that's a fun brother duo. And, and Justin's been playing really well for Pitt. So he is my Carl Malone award winner. The 19 or the 12 rebounds per game uh, really does it for me at best power forward. I love that brother duo. It's always so fun to see the brother duos in the NBA uh, especially when when they're on the same team, you know, you, like you mentioned, the Martin Bros. We've got uh, Justin and Aaron Holiday on the Pacers, uh, Giannis and Thanasis both on the Bucks. So, uh, w- wish those two brothers could uh, could team up. But that's awesome hey, maybe, that they uh, they're both balling out this year. Maybe they'll get together in uh, in the NBA. You never know. Exactly, that'd be great. And then finally, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Award, the best center in basketball, goes to who? This one was without question the easiest. It's got to be Luca Garza. Lucky Luca, uh, the Iowa legend. He's leading the country in points per game at 26. He's averaging eight rebounds a game as well. Um, He's not only the best center in the country, but he's been the best player in the country this year. I've watched a ton of Iowa games. I've bet on a ton of Iowa games. They're – a terrific team to bet the over on. They can score at will, and they don't play a lot of defense, which I don't think is much on Luca. Uh, he's more of an offensively focused player. He still grinds in the paint, uh, crashes the board, crashes the boards hard. Um, but he is so dominant. If he can draw, they got you got to double him every time they go to Luca. But uh, if they don't, he will. He will score. He's that talented offensively, and so um, I think he's he's an absolute beast, and is going to be a lot of fun to watch in the NBA when he makes it there. Nice. And so, uh, you know, that does it for the positional awards. Now, just overall, who's winning the John Wooden Award? Who's the best overall player in college basketball this season? I was just talking about it. They, they got to name the Wooden Award, the, the Luca Garza Award, because it's Luca Garza. I mean, he could be with a, I mean, he could be the first consensus winner since Zion Williamson two years ago. I think he's that special. And I really do think he uh, he deserves it. And so, the Wooden Award winner, we're going to break it here. It's not, I guess it's not even really breaking news, but we're going to say it here first. Luca Garza is the Wooden Award winner this, <laughs> this 2020 season of College Hoops. Love that. Uh, well, one thing I always like look, taking a look at as well is the freshmen who are, are making some noise in college basketball. Who's been the best freshman this season? 
Man, I really, I really wanted to give this to my my boy at LSU, Cameron Thomas. Uh, you know, he's second in, in the nation in scoring at 22 points per game. He's been been really special. But I've watched a lot of Cam Thomas. Doesn't play a lot of defense. Turns the ball over quite a bit. I'm going to give it to Cade Cunningham, the freshman at Oklahoma State. He's been terrific, averaging 19 points a game, leading the Big 12 in scoring. Uh, he's got a terrific game. He's a, a smart player. You can. He doesn't turn the ball over nearly as much. He's a great distributor uh, at his size. I think he's six, seven or six, eight can, can really act as a lead guard. And his, his game will, will translate great in the NBA. And, and I, you know, I think that would make a lot of sense because given he's currently projected as the first overall pick. And so uh, Cade Cunningham is my freshman of the year award winner. Awesome. And then finally, the last award I wanted to get your take on uh, is the coach of the year. Who's been the best coach in college basketball this season? Yeah, man, a lot of good candidates to choose from here. I think, like I said, the two, the two coaches that have, have uh, been ha, are coaching the two best teams, Mark Few with Gonzaga and Scott Drew with Baylor. They've been terrific, but, uh, you know, they've had success in the past. I'm going to go a different direction and give it to a guy who's, who's just now had, kind of having his first taste of success, really turn this program around. It's Quanzo Martin. Uh, the head coach of Missouri, uh, he's got the Missouri Tigers playing super well. They're 13 and three. They're ranked 10th in the country. It's probably the best Missouri team we've watched since the the Kim English days back in uh, back in the early 2010s when when that team had had Kim English and the Marcus Denman and the Pressy brothers. Um, but yeah, they're probably the best team in the SEC. This Missouri team, they're the most well-rounded at least. Um, and, and so I, I got to give it to Quanzo Martin. He's done a great job with this program and, and, and got him on track. And I do think they could, they could, they've got a lead eight potential for sure. That's awesome. I know, uh, I know my dad is going to be pumped about that one. He's a big Mizzou hoops fan has been watching this year. So Quanzo Martin is definitely a, a great pick, especially getting Mizzou back to 10th in the country. Uh, that, that's somewhere they've not been in, in quite a while. So Awesome for Quanzo. Um, you know, before we do wrap up on this college hoops uh, part of the podcast, two more questions for you that I want to get your take on. Um, you, you know, when I pay attention to college basketball, when I read about it, listen about it, or, or even tune in to watch some of it, I can't help but view it all through the lens of an NBA, uh, you know, scope. I'm always trying to figure out who the best prospects are, who's going to be, um, you know, the, the best game that translates over into the pros um and you mentioned Cade Cunningham as the projected number one overall pick and from what I've heard uh, he's the consensus number one in in NBA circles people are are saying that that Detroit and other teams should go ahead and just start tanking for Cade that he's that legit but outside of Cade Cunningham are there you know maybe one, two names that you think I should keep an eye on of guys that will have games that translate really nicely to the pros. Who's going to be good in the NBA in the future that, that we're watching in college basketball right now. Yeah, I think one I mentioned, but he's a, he's a pretty highly rated prospect, but his game's going to translate really well to the NBA is Evan Mobley, uh, this kind of a forward center, seven footer at, at USC, uh, super athletic, super talented, has a handle uh, for a seven-footer. And so 
uh, kind of like a Michael Porter Jr., honestly. Uh, I don't think he has the shooting quite the, the smooth stroke, the shooting ability that Michael, that MPJ had coming out of Missouri. But uh, I do think Evan Mobley has the tools to be a super special NBA player. And then another guy I would say who I, who I did kind of mention, uh, but Davion Mitchell, he's flying a little bit under the radar. He's playing on a great team with a great backcourt, but um, he reminds me almost of like a Tyree Max, Tyrese Maxey type point guard type where super high energy uh, it needs this three point shot to come around a little bit, but from an athlete perspective, from a playmaking perspective, he's super special. Um, I've, I've been watching a lot of Baylor this year and he's the guy that kind of makes their offense go terrific distributor, terrific ball handler, so fast, so quick can always get where he needs to go on the floor and find the right guy with the right pass. And so if his three point shot can come around, he's going to be a, an NBA point guard for a, a lot of years to come. I love hearing that. Uh, so yeah, definitely. We'll keep an eye on those two guys for sure. Um, but the last question I had for you, I was talking on Twitter today with uh, one of my friends, Christian, um, and he's a Baylor alum, big Baylor fan. And so uh, just wanted to hear from you. Obviously, you talked about Baylor being, uh, you know, one of the two best teams in the country right now and one of the clear favorites to get to the national championship game. Tell me how real of a chance it is that Baylor wins it all this year. Well, they got Gonzaga to deal with, but if they're not at least in the final four, I would consider it an absolute failure with how, how talented this team is. It's the deepest Baylor team that Scott Drew's had in his time there. He's had a lot of good teams. And so uh, they, this is really their year. If they're going to win it all, you can say the same thing with Gonzaga. I think they're kind of on a collision course to, to meet in that final game. I hope they, the NCAA gets the seating right so we don't see them on one end of the bracket mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they're playing each other in, in that that's, that's super regional or whatever. But, uh, you know, I think they're absolutely going to be one. Both both teams are going to be one. Seed. So I think Baylor's got a real chance, man. If they if they don't make the Final Four, you can tell you we got Buddy Christian. If Baylor's not in the Final Four, it's an absolute failure. So I, I would say it's, it's a pretty safe chance that, that they make it there. All right. Well, he uh, he was supporting the pod and said he's been listening. So I'm sure he's uh, glad to know that that uh, we're talking about his team, getting some college hoops in here. Uh, but that's going to wrap it, man. Uh, really good insight from you. Appreciate you, uh, your knowledge, diving deep into some of this college hoop stuff. It helps me just catch up on it all because I needed that. And uh, I'm sure some of the, the listeners out there did as well. Now that football's over. People are making the transition over to hoops. Um, so Barton's got college college basketball on lock, got it all. Um, you know, we'll definitely be hitting on some NBA in the in the coming episodes as well, especially as we get closer to the all-star break and, you know, the midway point in the season. But good stuff from you, Barton. Yeah, I'm excited. We'll definitely tap you in here in the coming episodes to, to get in some NBA content for the listeners. A uh, lot of fun, man. It's We'll probably check back in the next time, but right as the selection Sunday comes around here in about a month and talk a little college hoops then. But uh, until then, it's been fun. Before we go, though, breaking news. It's not college hoops related, but it is Kansas City Royals related. The Reds, Boston Red Sox outfielder Andrew Benintendi was just traded to our Kansas City Royals. He's a, a lot of fun to watch, a great outfielder, uh, pretty productive at the plate as well. And so – you know, hey, don't sleep on the Royals. Now we got we got a true uh, kind of a blue chipper in the outfield now and Andrew Benintendi. So 
lot to look forward to. Uh, I think we're about 51 days away from opening day. Uh, so you can't get, you can never, it can never be too soon to get excited. Yeah, definitely. The countdown begins. Ben and Tindy on the Royals. Ooh, dangerous. We, uh, yes, sir. We're gunning for the title this year. The Royals are back. <laughs> they, 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 they actually may be a sleeper wild card team, but hey, we'll, we'll save that for, uh, for the NBA uh, preview or MLB preview pod. Uh, lot to talk, lot to unpack there, but uh, just wanted to, to, to dish out some breaking news live on Point of Drew. But that's really all I got for this episode, man. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. That's all I've got too. We'll wrap it there, but appreciate everyone tuning in. Appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate you sharing the podcast, following on social media. And, uh, you know, above all, we appreciate you subscribing. Yep. In the meantime, you guys know the drill, like, rate, review, and above all, subscribe, baby. Absolutely. Smash that subscribe button. We will talk to y'all next week. Peace. Later. Later.